maybe the sensors of intelligence are themselves a developmental framework mm -hmm. um, and that they and that they arise in a developmental sequence object relational affects are true but they're oriented to different material than this idea of nurturing and then guiding slash uh, protecting what i think that the object relational affects are actually in relation to is not these abstract functions like nurturing and protecting and guiding but the milieu of each of the sensors so that we can be attached frustrated or reject or feel rejected by sensation itself or gaze itself or simple slash orientation the big hormone enneagram I'm John Lukovic, 415, sexual self-pres, 458 traffic. I'm David Gray, self-pres sexual, 9 with one wing, 974 traffic. What up, it's Emika. I'm an 8 wing 7, sexual self-pres with 854 fixes. Hi, I'm Nancy. I'm a 3 wing 4, self-pres social, 369 traffic. Hi, I'm Alexandra. I'm a social self-preservation, 9 wing 1, 963 traffic. If you like or hate us, make sure you go like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and make sure you leave us a review. All right. So what the hell are we doing today? We have jo Josh is coming coming live from his uh, facility. <clears throat> lovely three boys. Psych boys. Compound facility. Yeah, my psych ward <laughs> facility <laughs> to drop wisdom on us. <clears throat> Very sterilized wisdom is coming. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Sterilized. Lab coat. <laughs> why aren't lab you dressed is... in a la white lab coat that's why are you wearing flannel that's not you know, on i've been brand. thinking about our conversation around how to integrate my sexual instincts and i was thinking probably the best way to do it is to start wearing a white lab coat <laughs> yes. yeah i think that's true too you got it but only if yes. there are handcuffs hidden inside of it <laughs> purity is what we're going for here <laughs> i wanted to actually before we start or as we start i wanted to make one redaction um, or amendment to something I said in the Spiral Dynamics episode. Mm -hmm. um, I'll just say that it's that I think that I listened back to it and I think that I somewhat was unfair to the blue meme of Spiral Dynamics and I realized as I was listening to it that I have a prejudice against blue. Um, what's, wrong, what's wrong with prejudice? This is a prejudice podcast that we're on here. Um, well, let me just be really clear what I mean. I was using words like authoritarian and fundamentalist and stuff, and I think that's the shadow side of blue, but mm -hmm. I think blue is more fairly represented with words like traditionalist, mm -hmm. um, and blue is mm -hmm. motivated by things like a duty to, for example, mm -hmm. God, country, um, the group, these, these kinds of things. And um, the healthy form of blue is... Disgusting. ...is like, you know, what makes, you know, society sort of congeal together. For example, um, so um, there are a lot of positive things about each of the memes, and they're important in a certain sense to integrate them all as you develop. But of course, they all have shadows, and that's sort of what I was over focusing on for Blue. Okay. Welcome to Big Hormone Enneagram. Uh, we are back with uh, Spiral Wizard Josh. Uh, <laughs> before we get into it, please buy my book and review it. Uh, I've been getting some uh, hate reviews lately from. Oh, for uh, real? Yeah, from people who I know who they are after nice. I've got I've typed them and with types mm. that they didn't want to hear. 
Oh, nice. Uh, awesome. You can look it up. There's a, there's a, one, a very lengthy one-star review from James. And then there is a... Uh, <laughs> A very rambly, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's got three-star reviews. And they both, uh, yeah, after I gave them feedback on their type they didn't like, they hate reviewed. So uh, if you could review however it goes, reviews go a long way um, for a no-name author like myself. So, you know, please do that. Um, I have been doing a study group based on going, like, section by section through my book. Um, you can find that through my website, johnlugovich.com. But... Uh, I'm offering the first uh, three chapters, which is like several hours, I don't know, like um, 16 classes, which are two hours each with practice, discussion, and analysis uh, for like a package deal of like, you know, 175 bucks. Um, so that sounds like a lot, but I think it's actually really good. It's like a whole course, basically. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, Josh and I are starting uh, an Enneagram school called theenneagramschool.com, and uh, we have our first course coming up on uh, the, this week. This week, as of recording, what's the? Was it nineteenth? Is that when we have? Yeah, first? January nineteenth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, three part, uh, four part class on uh, you know focusing on this model of the developmental view of the centers that I think gives a lot of new language perspective on type, understanding it, and practicing with it. All right. DAA, Dark Arts Academy. We're gaining an experiential fluency with the Enneagram with the practice of typing. You know, a lot of the concepts that we learn here, how to put them into practice experientially in real time. So this week, I believe we have an episode coming out looking at the instinct stacking and fashion. We looked at Habib Nurmagomedov, an MMA fighter a week before, and we're going to be looking at John Malkovich coming up soon. And if you would like to get some help gaining some clarity with your self-typing, you can get a typing, get typed by us at Any Grammar. Um, you can get all this information at anygrammar.com. It's also the, uh, my Trifix booklet oh, yes. with an intro by John, which is the definitive Trifix information in all of the world. In so all of the world. Please purchase. Yeah. The only source. And, and then, yeah, Alexandra? I'm going to wait for a little bit. I kind of feel like I need to like take in a little more before I reopen. So I'm just going to wait a little bit. You're going to wait on what? Oh, uh, astrology stuff. That's right. God, <laughs> so annoying. Okay. Tell us about what it will be. Mm. We're going to maybe <laughs> where we can uh, book you and reach you and what you no. charge also. That'd be great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll just have to be patient. Sorry. What about, what about, the, what about the website that they can find more information? Yeah. Or an email. Just wait. We're just asking. I mean, no pressure. I mean, when is it, there a website address? And uh, and when no, it's going to be ready, how much no, is it going to be? <laughs> <laughs> like literally getting hot. Let's <laughs> just oh. say you look very red. Yeah. <laughs> Where, where can they give you feedback on? No, on, there's no <laughs> feedback, nothing. I'm hidden for a while. Where can we put in requests for what for, we want to see? For what would we like to see? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This this podcast continuing its toxicity of bullying nines. <laughs> this. You're just delaying things, all of you. <laughs> the last thing you should ever fucking say on this podcast is like, yeah, I'm not ready for that. I'm going to wait. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, what other option did I have? You guys were going to push me anyway, so I might as well just be honest. Where, where are you even thinking that you are right now? <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, Josh, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. 
Um, I've got a few plugs. I'll plug the school again. I'm really excited about the class. Also, just launched the Enneagram Expressions Library. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Which Good. Is, uh, which yeah, is yeah. very cool. Yeah. Um, it's a visual, interactive way to interact with the Enneagram or Celebrity Database and also includes a bunch of other resources like art and poetry and music and quotes and things like that um, by type. And um, my hope for it was that it would be a resource for not just to be able to actually see visually like um, who are all the threes that um, have been typed officially out there in the world and organized by instinctual stacking or trifix. You can actually toggle through different menu or different views of, of them so you can see like, you know, type and wing, um, instinctual stacking, all that stuff. Um, so I wanted that just to be a nice visual resource, but I also was hoping that it would be a good resource for people who are leading retreats or teaching mm -hmm. Enneagram to go find um, mm -hmm. both accurate typings as well as resources like poems and things like that that people use in retreats. When I've taught retreats, that's my favorite part is the poems. Mm -hmm. so, um, so that's out. Um, and it's free. It's enneagramexpressions.com. You can go check that out. What else? I am also doing the podcast, What It's Like to Be You, which is inter in Enneagram interviews. And I just released one with Emma Scott, Social Self Prez 6 Wing 7, 612 Trifix. And that was really great. Um, got a couple more coming down the pike soon. Cool. Um, yeah. I'd say a few things about the Enneagram school that I didn't say because I, you know, <laughs> sure. Yeah. I say things in a stupid um, way. First of all, please check out our website and sign up for our email list. Um, that's where we're going to be um, announcing um, you know, future classes and stuff like that. The Enneagram School, for us, I think it serves a few functions. First, um, one of the voids that I think it fills in the Enneagram world is a place that um, offers a long-term community in which you can actually bring the content of your life and work through your stuff. Um, it's not just... You know, we're not just going to offer, we are going to offer, you know, online courses and, and kind of retreats and things like that eventually. But uh, kind of the life pulse of the school, we're hoping to be a community of sincere um, inner workers. And, and so we're going to hopefully be organizing um, some kind of community gatherings where people can actually work through, you know, what's going on in their lives and uh, through the lens of the Enneagram and through, yeah, um, things like that. So we're also, interested in having in the this is sort of future plans for the school we'd like to have things like purchasable succinct introductory content to the enneagram um you know one of the things that like any grammar has amazing content and it's kind of like loose and um conversational in the format of mm -hmm. like podcast and dark arts academy and stuff but it's like you want to just learn the enneagram from right the ground up like what is the structure of the enneagram um, we're going to start creating content that is like easily digestible and um, sequential. Yeah, like I get approached sometimes by like an organization that like wants me to teach the Enneagram and right. mm -hmm. but they like don't know what they're asking for. And then in the process of just like wanting me to like teach their team, I'm like, well, it's not just one hour presentation or something like that. It's like so ha to have things that are like already pl planned out offerings that where where someone can get a formal um yeah education on the enneagram you know to right. kind of fill in the void of a lot of these enneagram certifying schools that are not decent and that rely on one technique or another too much like panels or something like that where everybody's mistyped 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're, we're going to build on that and, uh, you know, draw on y'all fools to participate as well in whatever comes up. Like definitely Josh and I just brainstormed a couple things, future offerings that, uh, on the horizon that are pretty cool. And so we're excited about it. So today we are going to talk a little bit about this developmental view of the centers. Uh, this is a lot of Josh's original material and, um, Josh was here wizarding his spiral uh, a couple episodes ago, and so we're going to continue to look at this, uh, not not at the spiral, but at um, development and how it relates to our understanding of type, and this is kind of what we'll be focusing on on this course that we're going to be doing, um, but that'll be more focused specifically on how these things show up in the types and fleshing out the types from this point of view. Um, is there anything you want to say about it, Josh? Yeah, sure. You know, we were talking about what to kind of reveal in this podcast episode versus right. what to teach in the class. And um, the class and the school in general is going to be really oriented to inner work. And so the class is going to be um, largely practice focused and inquiry focused and um, self introspection focused. And so it's using the class is going to be a, a, an environment in which you can actually use this material to look within and discover more about yourself in the context of a um, community of people who are doing the same thing. And what we're hoping, I think, to talk about today is just like what the model is and how the model came about and what it's revealing and what the, what the edges of the model are and what's still not answered and these kinds of things. Yeah, so, I mean, I think especially in just <clears throat> doing, doing this podcast, I mean, it's become clear that the, the, what the Enneagram types are is the intersection of the centers of intelligence and the object relational affects. And it's just like, uh, you know, you just put those together, those, those two uh, beams of light and where the prisms kind of overlap is, is our Enneagram type. And so, uh, yeah, Josh, how did this model come about and blah, blah, blah. So, so yeah, the model or how did, how did the model come about? Yeah, like, all right, so what, what, what is this, mo what model are we talking about and why is it useful? What, how did it come about? What was missing and, you know, what, was, what came before and what does okay. it contribute? Yeah, well. Uh, <laughs> Eight questions for you, Josh. Real, real easy. Good luck. Okay. Uh, so, taking your breath. Um, like, the punchline of the model is that I think that the sensors of intelligence arise in a developmental sequence. And I think, you, I think basically as an infant, you start basically as just a body, and then you develop a heart, and you develop a mind. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that in a little bit. Okay, yeah. so we have been, over the last year or two like and especially i think with daa really honing in on the fact that the as john was saying the fundamental thing is the center and the object relational affect and it's that's fundamental for typing and it's also fundamental for being able to work with yourself and <clears throat> courtney's episodes on object relations were like pretty revelatory for i think a huge just for us in general and also just for this community it was like kind of this amazing clarifying thing mm -hmm. and I've been thinking a lot about the presentation of object relations from the point of view of object relations. Object relations has this very complicated history in psychology, and it is there is not actually an object relations theory in psychology. There are many right. different object relations theories and different theorists who have proposed different, different schools of thought with object relations. Um, so it's very difficult to talk about object relations theory as a single monolithic thing. But the way that I think Don Riso and Russ Hudson put it together in 
in the Enneagram language is that there are the three object relational affects, attachment, frustration, rejection, in relation to three possible things, the nurturing function, the protecting slash guiding function, or both together. And there's something about the nurturing and then protecting slash guiding and then both triad that just wasn't sitting right with me um, for a lot of reasons. First of all, you know, and I'm actually, uh, I don't have my Risa Hutz material in front of me, so I don't remember if their original presentation was protecting slash guiding, but certainly in the Enneagram world at large, I've seen those two words lumped together and that seemed like two separate things. And it also seems strange to create a third option by taking two things and lumping them together. The Enneagram is a fundamentally triadic framework, and so there was just something kind of off about that to me. The other thing is that object relations, from this point of view, nurturing and, pro and protecting slash guiding, felt to me like developmentally, like sequentially wrong in the development of infants. Like, and what I mean by that is, so let me say it this way, like nurturing is is important to an infant from the get-go but guiding isn't mm -hmm. you know guiding guiding doesn't become relevant to an infant until they have the cognitive apparatus to be guided mm -hmm. and so you have a formulation with this object relations paradigm that like a three is said to be attached to the nurturing function and so you could imagine that um according to this framework that the personality type of three constellates very very early as soon as there's a relationship with the nurturing function established. But type six then is sort of on hold until the guiding function comes about and they can receive it. And then they develop that relationship. And so it's like, basically this framework is sort of, if you take it all the way to the end, what it's saying is that three constellates before six. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have this weird thing where there's a double relationship. So like a type four is frustrated with both the nurturing and protective or slash guiding function. And so you have this formulation where it's basically half of four is constellated and then the other half gets constellated later when the guiding function is relevant and just developmentally it wasn't really sitting with me like mm -hmm. just, it doesn't doesn't click there are other things too about it like um yeah so one other thing was in courtney's in courtney's episode she did this really brilliant move where she was talking about the rejection types where she like I had always struggled to understand what it means that two is rejected by the protective function or guiding function. And she did this brilliant move where she said basically the two, like what you receive, what the guiding protection function is meant for is that when you are guided and protected well, that instills in you a sense of your own independence, your own independent op uh, operating. Mm -hmm. So you can guide yourself and you protect yourself. And the idea is that because, uh, the two is missed in that function, then they slosh over and over-identify with the over nurturing function, and they don't develop their independence. And I was sitting and thinking about that, and I don't think that the reverse is, or the mirror of that with eight it works, because what the nurturing function is for, like the result of being well-nurtured, is a sense of your own self-worth and confidence. And I don't see a lot of eights that have struggles with that. Right. And, and so the mirror... Like the symmetry isn't there. And then there's this idea that five is double rejected and so it doesn't feel like a person. On the one hand, I think that might be experientially true for fives, but um, I don't know, just something about it just wasn't fully sitting right with me. So I was sitting with this inner tension about object relations not quite working for me as a framework um, from this point of view, but I was also realizing the attachment, frustration, rejection affects are 
very true. I mean, they're experientially true for me. They're observable. And so I started to think, well, maybe there's something else going on that is actually um, object relational affects are true, but they're oriented to different material than this idea of nurturing and then guiding slash uh, protecting. So call that paragraph one. Paragraph two is, you know, I've been like reading a lot about human development and developmental frameworks, and that includes spiral dynamics, that includes the ego, the constructed ego development theory of Sasanka Kreuter, which I'm really obsessed with, and a lot of Ken Wilber stuff. And basically, you know, for, especially from the Ken Wilber stuff, what I was learning is that the nature of the universe, all things, is is what he calls holonic. And that means that things are kind of Russian doll nested within each other. Might, let me explain what I mean. So like matter is built in the following way. Like you have atoms, which are then um, assembled into molecules. So molecules are made of atoms, and, but transcend atoms and have properties that are emergent that can't be... Um, predicted based on just the just the the uh, qualities of the atoms that they're comprised of like you have two hydrogens and oxygen that you put them together and all of a sudden it's wet uh, and then you have molecules that form cells and cells that form organisms and organisms that form um, societies and so you have this russian doll nested kind of um, concentric circle structure of matter and one of Ken Wilber's arguments is that consciousness is structured in the same way. So you have mm -hmm. like impulse and sensation and emotion and cognition and vision logic and all these other paradigm uh, awareness, systemic awareness, these kinds of things. So as I was reading that stuff, I, was, I started making the connection. I was like, wait a minute, that sounds, just that sensation, emotion, cognition piece sounds a lot like body, heart, minds. And so I started thinking that maybe the, maybe the sensors of intelligence are themselves a developmental framework. Mm -hmm. um, and that they and that they arise in a developmental sequence, and so that seems to me to be true. And here's how I think it works. So basically, as an infant, like in the first week of life, you're basically just a body. You can't even distinguish between objects in your environment. You know, um, and um, yes, your eyes are blurry, and you're just all of a sudden, boom, you're in the world, and you are plopped into a sensory surrounds that is more intense more painful more um overwhelming than the womb was and so i think that what happens the first like week or so of life is a kind of nostalgia for the womb and a, and, the, and the existential dilemma arises of like how do you protect yourself from sensory overwhelm and that's fundamentally the concern of the body sensor how do you create mm -hmm. boundaries and then that's why around, all nines yeah. are are basically babies yes <laughs> But also, infant born yeah, but also, every day. yeah, get into this too, but eight, overwhelming yeah. two babies here mm. on the call. Thank you for joining us, babies. You're welcome. Love you, baby. Love you too, baby. <laughs> so we can unpack and texturize this, but I'm going to just give the whole like, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're just going to so. interrupt with dumb comments <laughs> <That's good. laughs> as we always do here. <laughs> so, so around a month. An infant's eyes are, are constellate and they're able to actually make eye contact and they're actually, they develop the motor skill to actually be able to track things with their eyes before they can even control where their eyes are going. Um, and then human faces become interesting to them and they start making like meaningful, if you ever hold a, like a five week old or six week old infant, which I just did because my friend just had a baby, they are fascinated with your face. 
Like they just look at your face for minutes and minutes at a time before they Ew. tire out. <laughs> That's and disgusting. I think, that, <laughs> I think what happened, yeah, what's going John on is, um, <laughs> this is like basically the development of the heart center where an infant is realizing that other things are paying attention to me. I'm, mm. I'm being paid attention to. And attention is important because when I'm being paid attention to, my needs are getting met. When I'm not being paid attention to, they're not being met. And also sometimes when I'm being paid attention to, I'm being misread. Like I'm hungry, but mom's changing my diaper instead. And so this idea of attunement becomes really important. And on some pre-verbal, pre-cognitive awareness, there is or a level, there is an awareness that arises that my inner experience is not matching what people are seeing. And so the fundamental concern of the heart sensor arises, which is how do we get the right kind of attention? Mm-hmm. And then later, that hurts. <laughs> yeah. So later, um, infants develop something called object permanence, which is like, you know, it, the basic idea is that when the ball rolls onto the couch, before they have object permanence, they can't even hold the symbolic representation of the ball. And so it's as if the ball has disappeared altogether, it's, it ceases to exist. But when they develop object permanence, they can understand that the ball is still there and they, can, and they might actually go look under the couch. The primary object is usually the parents, mom. And so it's like, I know that mom still exists. She's just in the other room. But the point is, is that when I have object permanence, then all of a sudden I am basically born into symbolic reality where I, I not, my, inner, my inner world is now populated with symbolic abstractions from concrete objects that I can ponder and contemplate uh, when those things are not in my presence. And that is the birth of the mental center. So what you're saying there is that object constancy is being able to hold, in a sense, a symbolic representation of another person, right? Correct. And And that's the mental center. Right. And that's the mental center. And that opens up a whole world of being able to hold mental representations of things and ha- having an independent existence, whether you're observing them or not. And yes. having to orient to all, you know, from the, from the level of the, the body sensation, you're in, in bombarded with sensory inputs and having to organize those. And so from the mental center point of view, you're bombarded with potential um, symbolic objects and having to f- navigate your way through those. Correct. Correct. And so a new existential dilemma arises. So we, we've had two existential dilemmas at the level of the body center. It's how do I protect myself from sensory overwhelm? At the heart center, it's how do I get the right kind of attention? And then in the mental center, the arrival into the mental center and symbolic reality is basically the, the infant's first experience of infinity. It's like, well, if the ball is still under the couch, what else is under the couch? What's behind the couch? What's behind that couch? And, and also couches symbols, all the way down, couches all the way down, baby. <laughs> and you also symbols represent things that Don't are either dangerous to me or, or <laughs> nourishing to me, you know, like mom's in the other room. Um, and that's, she's a, a symbol that I'm fundamentally oriented to, or like, I know that there are carrots in the fridge, um, even though I can't see them. And so, um, Basically, the question arises, how do I map reality? How do I navigate reality? How do I, hold, um, a, how do I hold a map of reality that orients me to away from danger and towards nourishment in my head? Um, and that is the fundamental concern or existential dilemma of the mental center. 
and the final kind of punchline of this is that my my sense is that actually let me get it this way so the body center is the aspect of us that is oriented to that that receives sensory impact and also gives sensory impact the heart center is the aspect of us that receives the gaze of others or attention and also gives it and the mental center is that which receives um not just symbol but also orientation from exogenous sources and also orients ourselves and other people and what I think that the object relational affects are actually in relation to is not these abstract functions like nurturing and protecting and guiding, but the milieu of each of the sensors so that we can be attached, frustrated, or reject or feel rejected by sensation itself mm-hmm. or gaze itself or symbol slash orientation. So now you know the Enneagram. So we're done. <laughs> this is it. So yeah, so that's, that's, the, that's the skeleton of the framework. So this is how we can build tri-fixes as well. Like I'm oh, yeah. trapped yeah. in attachment to sensory symbol and gaze. Or, yes. Yeah, yeah, in attachment. Okay, God, that's horrible. So, <laughs> yeah, so first of all, one of the things that this clarified for me, I've been thinking about the centers a lot because for me, the centers have been the least clear and most woo-woo aspect of the Enneagram. Like when people talk about, oh, the Enneagram's based on the body, heart, mind. You know, um, if you're a person who's oriented to like science or whatever, it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Right. Um, and I've also, I mean, I remember when I, was a, when I was a very early Enneagram teacher, I gave a retreat and someone asked me once, <laughs> um, like when you say the body center, does that mean, like, are you actually talking about the body? Like this like sensation impact? And I was like, yeah, but I was really struck by that question because when we talk about the intelligence of the body, like nobody knows what the fuck we're talking about. Yeah. You know, like what is the intelligence of the body? Um, what is it oriented to? What is it? What? 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 Yeah. What does it mean? Um, and the word heart even is so saturated with cultural and spiritual kind of mumbo jumbo. It's like it's just yeah. it's a very you know it's a very rich and juicy word, and it's a word that belongs in poems and um, and spiritual connectedness and yoga retreats and stuff like that but Mm. from the point of view of like rigorous psychology it's a very difficult uh word to pin down yeah and and so i think that what this framework is doing for me is clarifying what the fuck we mean when we talk about the centers what are the centers and i also think that from this point of view this is why trifix is true because Mm. Because everyone goes through these developmental stages. Yeah. Everyone starts as a body. Everyone has a heart. Everyone gets to mind. And somehow, and I don't have an answer for this, but somehow along the way, we get psychologically anchored or even trapped, you might say, in fixated. one of those layers. Fixated in one of those layers more than the others. So like for me as a three, as a heart type, what being, what being a heart type means is being psychologically anchored in the layer of gaze. It's like, I can't not be oriented to how you are paying attention to me and how attention is being paid to everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that explains yeah. John. <laughs> and yeah. his harsh, intense critique on how everyone perceives everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. Gaze. <laughs> that was another, that was just one, one other piece and we could, I would love for you guys to ask some questions to kind of open this up. But one of the, one of the things that has, has helped me texturize and get, clear on what this framework is 
is really saying is that a lot of the interviews I've been doing helped me question this protective guiding slash nurturing kind of framework. Like, for example, when I did the interview with Alex, the one, um, she was talking about how she can't even begin to sit down to write until she dusts and organizes her shelf. And I was like, that's not frustration with the protecting or guiding function. That's, mm. that's frustration with the sensory impact of something in her environment. Mm-hmm. She can't settle until, you know, settling. And then when I talked to Joseph, I was struck, like, just how much disdain he has for things. It's not because he's, fr- <laughs> it's, he's not, like, it's not, he's not frustrated with a protective. I mean, I get, I get the four being double frustrated as a framework, but it's like frustration with a protective function doesn't really work for me there. What he's frustrated with is the way people are paying attention to anything. It's frustration with attention itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's see. I want to talk about try fix more clearly from this point of view. And I don't know if that requires breaking anything down before we get into that, you know, because, you know, we're introducing, all right, like rejection, like, like maybe say something about like what's rejection, frustration, and attachment on the level of sensation. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like, because okay. that's kind of like, I mean, rejection and sensation, what, you know, so right. you don't have to go through all the types or something because you got to pay for a fucking class. But well, I think it could be fun as like a sampler to just go through it with like all of us, like David and I trapped in attachment with sensation. What does that mean? Mm. I don't know. Let's, anyway, do, go ahead. let's do the body center. Yeah, this is good. This will be good. So. Oh yeah. Talk also, about me. Trap, is, trap in a loom. <laughs> this, is, this is an asterisk, think, but I, I just wanted to put this one other because I want to like do my best to put a nail in the coffin of the um, previous kind of construction of object relations relating to those functions. Um, the other thing about the double frustration thing was I was thinking like, okay, if one is frustrated with protecting, and then as a result of that, um, starts making all the rules and asserting all the rules upon everyone else. And if seven is frustrated with nurturing and then therefore takes it upon themselves to go and get every, whatever they need, then four should be a composite of the two of them if they're double frustrated. And they're not. There's something totally different. Um, That's a good point. Yeah. We are different. Yeah. <laughs> You're <Yeah>. the same. <laughs> so annoying. <laughs> it's, uh, okay, the, so let's... The emergence, the whole on of four. <laughs> Let's do um, the body center. Okay, so so here's the basic idea. You so in, as an infant, you know, in the first week of life, you are you didn't choose to be here, and you are now plopped into a sensory surround that is um, extremely overwhelming and doesn't hold you in the attuned way that the womb did. Agree. So, yeah. Um, and so very strong. Agree. Five out of five. Right. Well, I think just bullshit right away. <laughs> Ray so I think that being in a body. Yeah. There you the go. Fuck? Yeah. At being not cozy. That's what we talk about. Exactly. When we talk about rage, comfy likes the rage, shame, fear <laughs> triad thing. Like that's what rage is. Rage is basically like the the I didn't have a choice, but now I'm here and mm-hmm. and fuck everything. Um rage at the at the universe. And so I think that all three body types have a nostalgia for the womb and they all approach it in a certain way. And Nine basically takes the attitude of like, you know, open arms, like, please hold me world. (laughs) Okay. 
That's so funny and... to me for some reason. Shush, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Wait your turn. <laughs> please, please hug me, world. We're holding yeah. me right now. Need, we'll hold I you need, later. <laughs> I need snuggles, world. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> And the world does hug us. It returns the favor. The delusion. We are loved. We are popular. Attractive. Beautiful. That's true. Cozy. Cuddly. Everyone wants everyone wants to snuggle us. Everyone. Yeah, Josh, continue with the snuggle. delusion of nine, please. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so nine says, please hold me world. And what that means from a from the body center sensation point of view is basically world, please. Please provide me with good sensations. And God, that's so <laughs> my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, and then I get really, really fussy and mad when I don't get them. Whoa, you got a world yeah. grumpy. I'm currently looking at Brian curled up in the couch, <laughs> covered in a blanket. Covered. <laughs> I have a blanket on my lap right now. <laughs> Comfy yeah, cozy. Right. Yeah. So the whole nine comfort seeking cozy seeking thing by the way i want to make something clear that sensation is a whole thing to unpack like it's not just it's not just the five senses which is a really outdated model of sensation yeah Um, well said aristotle actually came up with that over two thousand years ago um so what i mean is like aristotle you're canceled (laughs) yeah okay sensation is like whatever john um like right now the in terms of social instinct, all of us are having a, a, so a sensory impact on each other, just being on this video call, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so there are subtle, there's like a whole subtle realm of sensation that is the sensory impact of people on each other, um, or, but there are also things like the temperature of the room and things like that. To, I mean, this there's is a, a whole, we can get into an instinctual conversation about this. Like yeah. resonance in the body, like what yes. we're experiencing right now by seeing each other. Yes, yeah. Or yeah. I loved Alex's word the tuning the inner tuning fork Mm -hmm. which is especially one but i think that all all the body types have something like this Mm -hmm. so basically nines are like hold me world and attachment is a fundamentally open porous receptive stance to um to the world and that would get that's going to get mirrored by the three in the in the layer of gaze and the six in the layer of orientation but Mm -hmm. in the layer of sensation here with nine it's basically like, okay, hold me world. And nine strategy is um, whatever the world is giving me, I'll make it work by numbing myself enough so that it works. And so nine basically numbs itself in response to what the world is giving me and settles with it. So there's significant numbing of sensation. Yes. Also. Yeah. yeah. It, to deal with all the overwhelm, all the, the absorbing right. yeah, attachment input is taking <clears throat> yeah. it all in. Because it's nine too wants much, too yeah. much yes to everything. Yeah. yeah. So you also have to have a cutoff. Yeah, it's like nine is wanting pleasant sensations, and it opens itself to receive them. And every once in a while, bad sensations get in, and it doesn't want to close itself off because the outside world is the source of pleasant sensations. And so its strategy is to numb itself so the bad sensations mm-hmm. don't affect it. Well, kind of like it doesn't know how to cut itself off. That's right. It's you know, like, it's like yeah, the that is why like nine is like the archetype of the types. It's like. Like, before you even know, you can cut yourself off. Like, so numbing is sort of turning down the volume or like, you know, it is like a dissociative response, but it's like, yeah, there's no sense of knowing that you can. It's like not even an option. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I think it's more that like we can't turn off selectively the way that we should because there's like I at least bringing in a personal I feel like I have to be open because the yeses are out there, but I don't know how to filter out the no's. So I just have to be open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the I know I've been shitting on the protecting, guiding, nurturing thing, but I want to bring it in just for one second because I think there's something relevant here. So the third option is sometimes given as the 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 two things together nurturing and protecting guy but it's also sometimes called the holding environment and yeah, yeah. That makes yeah sense. there's a lot of different there's a lot of different terminology that swims around here but i think that the body center is fundamentally concerned with the holding environment like what holds me what touches me what impacts me sensorially that's holding and you could also make an argument for the body center is concerned with protection also it's it is the protecting milieu how do i protect myself from so the body sensor could be equated with the holding environment and the protecting function. And um, basically, nine's way of protecting itself is through numbing in response to what the world is giving me. Um, okay, let's talk about eight. So eight, as a rejection type, finally, um, is instead of, so in, in radical contrast to the nine, which is open and receptive and porous, eight is impenetrable and non-porous and opaque. And what, what the eight is basically doing is saying, okay, world, anytime something like bad sensation gets in, that's what I feel rejected from. Like, fuck you, world. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to create my own holding environment by erecting a castle wall around me and only letting in what I let in through mm-hmm. this drawbridge. And, and so anything that has, that has the potential to have a sensory impact on me lands up at the wall and I choose whether or not to let it in. But mm-hmm. so an- another way to put it is that nine numbs itself in response to the world. Eight numbs itself um, preemptively um, before it goes into the world. <laughs> and so the world yeah. can't get to it. Yeah. So we were, Josh and I, you know, regularly hang out at this coffee shop to like work and we were comparing our fixes and kind of like, you know, because it's not the, the case eight doesn't sense, sense anything. Right, like everybody senses, everybody senses, but like there's a certain orientation to, um, you know, and Josh, you can help me like refine what I'm thinking, but uh, or clarify, but like there's a certain like, so we went into this coffee shop and we both kind of broke down our sensory experience of how we oriented to walking into this coffee shop. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Josh with his nine fix was talking about how he's just, you know, and social instinct too, but he's. He's like really absorbent of people's states and where they're at and their quality of energy. And for me, even though I'm a drawn type and there's also social blindness in here, but um, there is a way, like for example, we were talking and this guy kind of made a body language move like he was annoyed with the quality of us talking. And, you know, Josh had some kind of, like, what was your response to that? You like took note of it. I, I mean, it just, I, I took, exactly, I took note of it. I took note of it. But yeah, you said it, like it affected you in a certain way, right? Mm-hmm. How did yeah. it affect you? Um, you could almost imagine that, I mean, it's like something um, hit me from the inside. Like, some, it's almost like, imagine I'm a sponge in a tide pool. Some contaminant in the tide got inside, like, my innermost sponge pore and sort of moved me to the right. So it's, yeah. it, it's like it became included in your inner milieu. 
Yes, that's right. Whereas for me, uh, I did register a little bit and I was like, well, I'm just going to fucking talk over him. You know, like, like not even <laughs> like, not even amplify my voice anymore, but just kind of like keep pushing. Cause I was like, I'm not going to let that in. Like I'm right. like, and it was, it was kind of a pre-conscious thing, but I saw he was annoyed and I like, was like, fuck it. Like, I don't care. Or, you know, it was like, I'm not going to like, I'm yeah. having a conversation. Right. And then, so tracing how I walked into the coffee shop, like, I don't know Josh's experience, but I was recognizing like like push into door uh barista you know i'm polite and stuff but i'm just like you know please give me coffee go to the seat i'm not taking in her feelings uh i'm not taking in like like you know just you know being with nine fixers or alexander or something like this like there's certain ways that i'll see them respond to things that i'm like kind of cutting out and it's, it's very transactional and so it kind of get, it was like a you know when they talk about the eight fixation is uh objectification right it's sort of it is kind of like uh, a rendering of yourself as opaque to everything else and therefore everything else has a kind of opaque blockiness to it and that you're just right. kind of you know pushing through an environment of blockiness and so you know one of the things i was it was kind of like uh one of the things that gets assigned eight a lot. And I think there's something to this, but, but confidence, right? Sure. And, but it's not like, I know plenty of eights that are very insecure. You know, it's not that they're, but it's this way of orienting to the world where you're saying no to allowing certain sensations just on a pre-conscious level that makes my ego agenda something I can just kind of express in the world. And so... Often, I think that, you know, a lot of, I think, our, our views of self-esteem and things like that culturally come from a nine-fixed point of view. Yeah. And so, from, from a point of view of this, like, like eight-fixed or whatever, eight-point eight type, type eight or whatever, it's like, uh, it's not so much confidence or, unco- you know, it's, it, it works differently, but it's like, it looks confident from a sort of point of view because there's, there's a lack of questioning the expression of whatever uh, impulse I'm trying to enact. Does That's that make any sense? Because atta- attachment is what it is to be a human being. Mm-hmm. So to be automatically, structurally closed is incidentally confident and sort mm-hmm. of ego strong mm-hmm. or right. boundaried. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a confidence of, you know, I could imagine like an attachment type going into a crowd. And feeling the impact of people's, uh, what people say, like that stuff hitting you and you can't keep it out. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think the confidence of aid is coming from that there's nothing stopping me. Like, because my boundaries are so um, protected that I only allow something to affect me if I wanted to. That's what it feels like. So why, why wouldn't I just uh, expand myself? Just go you, forward. Yeah. I can, I can. So which means I can go in the middle of a crowd and do whatever I want to do because it's like, Whatever you're saying, at any point, I can I can sort of depersonalize what's happening right. in the sense that uh, you're not speaking to me, or whatever you said doesn't have anything to do with me. Like what right. you're feeling, like there's a sense of real separateness that can get to an extreme point where you can just do or say whatever you want and not really register. Yeah, uh, it, it doesn't really affect you, or it doesn't really touch you. Separateness is is the word I think. Or go ahead, John. Yeah, I mean another another demonstration of this kind of thing that I'm curious for the for the nine fixers to describe. But you know, like uh, in New York, you get out of a subway train on a busy station, and everybody's going in twenty different directions because you know it's all disorganized and stuff like this. 
And I do this thing where when somebody gets in my way or when someone's, we're like, you know, it's like we come to those choice points where it's like I could move or they could move. My thing is always they move. You know, like I'm always going to be the, like there's always those kind of like door openings or whatever, not literal door openings, but those openings where it's like one of us could go some way and I'm like, I'm going to keep my, I'm going to make them be the one that has to make that choice to move. Like that's kind of just like a default thing. And so I kind of just like barrel through and I like people hit me and I hit them and stuff like this. But it's kind of like I'm not going to give them space to be like, where are we going to flow together? And so I don't know if that's like, if that's just a New York thing or if that's like my eight fix or if that's what, but I'm curious from the nine fix point of view, because I can see nine fixers taking in people more. I want to, I want to interject one thing about this. So part of what this model I think is about is that, and let me get at it this way. So the previous formulation of object relations, I think is, um, is basically taking a, a framework that only an adult with their cognitive capacities that have been developed in adulthood could have and superimposing it on a precognitive infant experience in terms of, um, like, for example, just like your sensory awareness of your, of your environment. The reason I bring that up is because um, one of the difficulties of having this conversation about sensation is that it very quickly and easily becomes a conversation about how I see myself and how I make choices to move through the world. And what I'm saying is that the layer of sensation is pre-identity. And, and so it, it exists in a, at a level of consciousness that is prior to the way you see yourself. And um, it's not that you can't um, excavate it and then ultimately make different choices in it uh, in terms of your relation to sensation. But what I'm saying is like, I think that your response to, I think that your sense of yourself mm-hmm. or your choice not to have people um, or not to move out of people's way and have people move out of your way um, is a kind of almost like reverse rationalization based on your default sensory uh, experience of the world. You see what I'm saying? So, reverse, ra- can, you, can you kind of unpack what the other Yeah, what, what, I mean is, what I mean is, I think that, I think that, like, I think, first of all, the, the body sensor is just absolutely fundamental. It's like, the, it's the, yeah. it is the fundamental thing. Doesn't matter if you're body type or not. Like, your, right. your orientation to the sensory surround is fundamental. And <clears throat> what I'm hearing you say is that your experience of yourself as a sensory object is, is just that, as a sensory object. And so your experience, you're kind of like a billiards ball moving through a world with other billiards balls. And uh, as a person with a nine fix, my experience of the world is that I am not a billiards ball, I am a sponge. And, um, and the way other people's presence, um, when they are in my presence, their energy is already inside me whether I want it or not. That makes me it's like, just, yeah. like my t- stomach turn. I did yeah. that. Alexander, like, Alexander, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Just, yeah, just like, that's like, they're, they're just like, yeah. whoa, no, I don't want like, <laughs> So in other words, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, your, your framing of, I don't, I don't, I choose to make other people, um, go around me as opposed to going around them. I'm saying that, um, it's not, I, I'm saying it's probably at, at a, at the lowest level of consciousness at the sensory level, not actually a choice. Yeah. 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 You know? Yeah. I hear what um, you're saying. Yeah. 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 Whereas in other words, people, that's a resulting energy, behavior from an earlier sensorily yes, uh, reality. That's what I'm saying. That's yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I and I really wanted to make that point because from this developmental point of view, I think it's really useful to 
um, have this like understand where things are coming from in the developmental hierarchy yeah. or like what place they're they're arising from in consciousness you know like the ladder of consciousness you might say or the russian doll nested thing yeah so <clears throat> and just to say something real quick yeah. about like um I, like that's one way you can deal with it like i've noticed in some certain situations where i don't realize or register people enough and i just end up bumping into them or if i am registering people my tendency is to want to maintain a visible distance so that other people don't bump into me. So my, I guess, rejection response is that um, I'm not navigating who's going right or left because the idea that some stranger could even touch me is disgusting. I'm more likely to make sure that that doesn't even happen or there's not even a possibility. I try to make sure that any potential action by someone doesn't, can't affect me regardless of whether they go right or left or they just completely spaz out. Uh, so that, that could be another like response to it where maybe sometimes I'm not aware and I just end up barreling through people. But for the most part, I just want to make sure that people don't ever touch me. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting from the, in term, I mean, rejection itself, as I'm characterizing it, is just this non-porous boundary. And from a nine fix attachment, open porous point of view, it's just, kind of not possible to not have things affect you like mm -hmm. and that gets into a whole thing about inner work and how how we can use this framework but um maybe we talk about one yeah let's do it on this out yeah so let's see to get here i would say that so nine is open and receptive and uh numbs itself in response to what the world gives it eight pre-numbs itself and exerts a kind of outward flowing from the center of itself like force field that keeps the world at bay um, to create the castle wall. I'm suggesting that one is basically open and porous like a nine, but cannot numb itself. And so it that basically ensures frustration. And, and yeah, mm -hmm. and that's what ensures frustration. So think of one like a sponge, but with sandpaper interior, Jesus. where literally any, any, can, any particle in the tide pool gets inside it and feels like a scratch. Um, and so. Um, the tide pool has to be absolutely pure um, for the one to feel settled. And so the one externalizes their own, their settledness to the tide pool. And so that's the, that's what, that's what ultimately creates in the one identity structure, a sense of an obligation to fix what's wrong in my environment, because it's affecting me at a sensory level in a way that I can't deal with because I can't settle until it's fixed. Hmm. So can you, can you I'm flesh so that out fine. as an example? Well, yeah, I think that the, the Alex, interview example is a really good one from the point of view of like she can't like let me get at it this way so the fundamental concern I, I think in the body center is to try to recapture the wound state of being mm -hmm. settled you know mm -hmm. nine says okay i'll settle with whatever's here by knowing myself eight says i'll create my own holding environment so nothing can get in so so that i can settle um and one basically says in order to settle i have to get everything exogenous to me right i have to and right as a really loaded and subjective term but it's a uh, but i have to get i have to get the the outside world to a place where it's not irritating me <laughs> yeah yeah so so one is hypersensitive to irritants and contaminants in their environment and i think probably depending on their instinctual stack um what they're oriented to as as contaminants and irritants are going to be different for alex who's a self-pressed sexual one um the thing that was pro mostly irritating to her was you know, when there's like dust on the shelf or when her, when there's shit disorganized in her, in her view and somehow she can't like get comfortable. It's kind of like fussy baby energy. I can't get comfortable. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't get, I just can't get comfortable. And, um, you know, when, when a one grows up into an adult and they have power to like fix things and try to get themselves comfortable by fixing what's outside them. And also I think, um, part of the one identity structure becomes, um, don't be a person who contributes to the kind of environment that can continue to irritate me. Hmm. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's really good. <laughs> so the constricted rigidity of one comes from that point of view, you know, mm. and, and the idea of, of one having morals and principles is, um, is probably at some, on some level fair and true, but the principles are a result of mm. this sensory reaction to the world. Yes. They're okay. a mental constellation of what is right based on my sensory response. Mm. Yeah. Damn. Interesting. Mm. And so, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just thinking about that. The idea of like ones forming their sense of like uh, principles based on that. And I'm, I was thinking about it for eight and how if eight is looking at the world as, as um, I'm creating my own world that's protected from certain, that protects me from certain vulnerabilities. So the eight can sort of build up uh, a personal ideology that I judge people on their ability to be reliable uh agents within the wall so if you're not some if you're someone who you you talk about eights when you talk about uh loyalty it's not from the sense of mental uh, orientation like the six it's coming from a sense of are you going to be a liability to the wall yeah for sure yeah so this gets to a whole discussion about what is a fixation and like from a body center point of view how do we hold symbolic abstractions um let me say this let me say it in in a different way like if we were talking about someone who's not here right now emic as an eight like you would be holding that person or evaluating the the symbol of that person in relation to your fundamental eight concern of is this person going to violate me or not yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and as a nine i hold the symbolic like i'm like let's talk about i don't know your mom or something like that it's like um as a nine we hold like my mom's not present right now, you know. She's not physically. She doesn't have. She's not having an immediate impact. And so, in this conversation, she is a symbolic abstraction. And the way that we hold um, symbolic abstractions is in relation to the fundamental concern of our type. And when we're talking about the body sensor as a nine, it's like when I call to mind this symbolic abstraction of mom, is this person um, requiring life energy exertion from me? <laughs> um, is this person? Um, unsettling me or settling me tracking levels of agreement or alignment yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right right and then probably there you know like so nines are known for like kind of idealizing certain people and cartoonifying them because i would assume it's because to do that um is uh is numbing certain features of the way that symbol is held so that it can be comfortable within that sensorial milieu. Is that, yep. is that accurate? Yep. Yeah, or another way I, I think of it is like, um, nines will take a snapshot of a moment in time when this person was like mm. sensorially so pleasant, mm. and then, and then we'll, rec- we'll recall that and, and hold that symbolic abstraction of that person in their minds as wow. a way to soothe themselves. Fuck yeah. Um, but also, when they're in relationship to, to that person in the present moment, 
they can sometimes be thinking of that person in the cartoonified symbolic yeah. frozen yep. moment mm-hmm. in time that they used to have. Interesting. You know, as opposed to relating numbing, to the person right that's here right numbing now. To yeah. That's totally a numbing agent. reality. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. That brings up a really good point in that the, I mean, we've talked about this before, the nested quality of trifix. So me being fi-fixed is coming from the point of view of eightness is different from John's relationship to his fi-fix because it's the core fixation is the thing. So it's uh, the head center in, in um, it's through the lens of your core center. So the way that I do five is coming from the point of view of evaluating what, you know, the capacity of something to um, violate my, my own, you know, separate world that I've created or not, or yeah. Yes. Yeah, could you do like a breakdown on Emika and I's relationship to our five fixes from the point of view of being an eight and a four? Yes. Okay. <laughs> on the so, spot right Jesus. now. Go. Um, okay, and let write me just, a chapter of the book. Let me just Go. say. <laughs> yeah, dance, say. pony, dance. <laughs> <laughs> um, I haven't fully worked out how the, how like, for example, you know, John and Emika, if you, ha- if you both had six fixes, how that would be different. Um, uh, from what I'm about to say, but here's what I'm about to say. So I think that the way that, okay, let's take, pretend that I wasn't here right now and that I'm the symbol you're each holding in your heads. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Emika, the way that you're, that you're holding the symbolic abstraction of Josh in your head is basically as, um, as an evaluation of is, is, is the symbol of Josh, is Josh um, like, cool to let in beyond the wall um or not or what parts of josh are are allowed to go uh, within the wall or not right josh is trustable (laughs) in this category but not trustable in this category we can dissect him 100 that's exactly what it is (laughs) (laughs) everybody it's got like i'm good with this 20 percent of you the rest of it doesn't exist (laughs) yeah yeah interesting and and john so you're you're a four and what and in this model what i'm suggesting is that four is frustrated with with gays or the way that people pay attention and the way that they're atten- the, the way that they give you attention, but also gaze. the way that they give attention to anything. <laughs> and so, I think that you hold me as a symbolic abstraction in your head in relation to this concern. Like you're evaluating me based on how does Josh pay attention? Yeah. And and when he pays when he's with me, is he paying attention to me in the right way or to anything that his attention goes to? Is his quality of attention um, good or bad according to my standard? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's like. Uh... We, I mean, we talked about this, and it was sort of like, like I, I am uh, not so frustrated with the way Josh sees the world, and the way that Josh holds the enneagram, and the way that Josh, you know, like the yeah. the values Josh has because of X, Y, and Z, you know, like that's yeah, it's like, oh, uh, do you do you see the world in a way that that I think has meaning? Yeah, I, yeah. I'll say this that. I think the thing I told uh, when we discussed this from the body point of view, I look at people as sort of like uh, people can be sort of like experiential instruments. And from the five fixed point of view, it's like everyone is, has the capacity to generate some kind of insight just by their presence in the mix. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes people come to us or join up with us and I can sense that their presence is disrupting the sort of experiential flow of discovery that could happen. Mm-hmm. And so when I think of Josh, it's like whenever Josh comes around, 
new interesting insights happen. So Josh is a good addition to the wall. And so it's, I, I can see, I can look at people based on what they generate, good or bad, in addition mm-hmm. to everything else. And where it seems like, John, you know, you are more concerned, the gaze, is, it's more concerned as to like what the, uh, there's a, it's more of a quality of sincerity or like looking at like John's quality of um, intention, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not about the results or the experiential, like mm-hmm. what, what's happening when he's here. Like you're getting to the heart of like what Josh is uh, trying to do or what he's intending yeah exactly and, and his value as a person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah like i'm not so, right. yeah it's not as results focused but it's kind of like where's your heart at mm-hmm. yeah you know and it's not like you know we're talking about the symbol of gays uh um and i keep trying to make a gay joke but i just can't find it i know i keep thinking um, of that too <laughs> but it's not even how someone's looking at me you know right. like that can be part of it but it's sure. like i'm as, as a frustrated like like you know, there's people that I just uh, can like not engage with, but I can like up, have a uh, have a stamp of gay approval on their gaze or something. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, they're a cool person. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think that that's important too. Is that it's it's not just uh, do you see me right or not? Because that can there's a lot of different types that that can go into. And I'm not saying that that is or is not for, but just that layer of symbol or of not symbol of 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 the gaze does have this sense of. Um. Yeah, their intent, their right. quality yes. of heart. Yeah. Can I see them as a real person? And so, like you know, uh, I mean, we talk about this, Josh, but like you know, like uh, you're like you're not the kind of dude that I would normally be like, yeah, let's be friends when we first met. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. 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 And uh-huh. uh, when we first met, but I was like, I just like this guy because I could just see your heart. I could see where you're at, where you're coming from. You know. And so it wasn't about the the effect you produce or something like that for me. It was, yeah, it was this, this thing about what I see your identity as. Yeah, very interesting. And I, uh, by the way, I appreciate what you guys said. Thank you. That was a three. Um, <laughs> you did it, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, you're getting the good gaze. You got the gaze. Attached the to the gaze. The eight in the four <laughs> walls. You've found a few gold stars on your lapel. I'm <laughs> 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 John, don't hate you. That's, that's, a good I mean, that's an accomplishment. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's interesting, actually, because there are people that I will, um, their results actually suck, right? but I will see their value, mm-hmm. and okay. that's gotten me in trouble. Right. Sure. And then, especially if my value assessment is wrong, mm-hmm. and they're producing all kinds of shitty oh. results, right. I'm that's- still kind of like, <clears throat> it's, it's hard for me to tap in, it, it has been, it's getting easier for me, but like to toggle between the centers in relation to other people, whereas I can just stay in my dominant center in relation to people. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. And I, I over, yeah. overreact to, not, I wouldn't say overreact, but I'm all, always tracking what effect people are having in our group or on us. Like what the before and after when this person was introduced, I'm very sensitive to that. And, mm. uh, Mm. You know, y'all know that I have a kill list and every time somebody does something, <laughs> but I'm just like, I'm going to, I'm going to have to, you know, delete you at some point. And it always be, ends up being the case because it's like, you know, like this person's just a problem and they're going to continue to be a problem. So, yeah. Damn. I, as, as we're talking about this, like I'm realizing, you know, like I've, I've like had an impression of somebody that I held at a certain layer, so to speak layer, you know, but it like both my lack of social instinct and that I'm body last like the like not seeing their results mm-hmm. that's so that's really interesting 
That's a big deal. Yeah, very interesting. <laughs> and it's also just to say that uh, I can get misled by results too because I can see the potential that someone has to you know mm. add to the mix and I I have to eventually catch up to uh like what is what is the intent because just because you have the capacity to add to the mix doesn't mean and we've had plenty of examples lately in the last year of people who could have helped us do so many things and that's why we wanted to engage with them but then you find out that they've got some fucked up intent like what they're really going after doesn't actually align with us and so i can i can get caught up doing that interesting yeah so i think i think this framework has a if i think that it's it's a really good way to clarify what we mean by fixation like the the original formulation like each type has a has a passion and a fixation and um I don't have it like fully worked out or anything, but I think it's a really it's a really good investigative trail. It's it's a, it's where you're stuck in relation to these layers. Yes, you're, where you're fixed. That's right. And so, like, even saying I have a one fix or an eight fix or a nine fix, where are you fixed in that symbolic layer? Oh, mm-hmm. actually, what I was referring to, let me be clear, is like you know how uh, Russ Hudson or like kind of i don't know anyone sort of mainstream enneagram would talk about like the fixation of eight is objectification oh yeah yeah it's like this is like it goes yeah it goes back to a chaza exactly um and or the fixation of three is image management or whatever or or deception or whatever you call it it's like um you know uh those are really useful words um to get at certain things but um i think that when you're talking about like what does being an eight do to the how does it flavor your relationship to symbolic abstraction in the mental center um, mm-hmm. is is a slightly different question than the those words like objectification, image right. management are uh, are trying to answer. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. This opens things up in a in a very uh, profound but in, in simpler way that it makes it easier to work with the fixes because. It's like now I'm looking at my five and four fix um, very differently because it's like, oh shit, like my relationship to symbol and the gaze is all coming from sort of like um, the wall and the environment that I'm creating for myself. And it's not just the literal environment, the psychological environment, because I think if I see people affecting Mm -hmm. us psychologically and I look at all of you as affecting me psychologically. So if there's someone in your life that's affecting you, that's has a, residual effect on me so there's kind of a way that the aids can sort of expand my environment by all the people that have the ability right. to affect me so you know i think about what's going on in all you guys' lives because yeah. if something's going down for you that's touching me as well so that that can be the sort of it just mm. keeps expanding as in how many elements in my environment <clears throat> psychologically emotionally physically that i need to control so that i'm not touched by anything outside <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is also really interesting because I feel like it can make communication happen better. Like, for example, Emika, if you were to be like, this person fucking sucks, and you're talking to me or somebody, you know, with a different milieu, whatever, right. and I'm right. like, I don't feel like they suck. Right. You can instead say, hey, they're really impacting you in this way that I'm observing that I don't think you're registering. And yes. that has an entire, and it's like, oh, oh yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, and that yeah. has an entirely different yeah, yeah. things. So it's like, I don't know. It can open up a lot. It it helps me know that uh, to better communicate what I'm seeing, 
because it seems so obvious to me when I, when I think that someone is a problem, I'm registering like three, four, five different things that have stacked up for me to be able to say that. (laughs) And so I, I'm realizing that I need to break down, like, this is what they did. And this led to this thing, which could lead to this other thing, which could lead to this other thing, which means it's going to be a problem (laughs) a month, three months, six months from now. Let's, you know, and and then when it happens and I'm like, I fucking told you (laughs) that it was going to play out this way, you know, so I have to do more, you know, just, it's not obvious. Cause I can, I'm registering so many like infractions and saying, okay, this is how it's going to go. Now at this point, something happens like amongst people. And then I'm like, I didn't see that coming or, or, you know, or like, why did Emika take this action? I'm like, Emika, what's like the download? And you're like, here, 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 here. You've got a list of <laughs> compiled things. And so now at this point, I just know like, okay, that's what, <laughs> that's, that, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not ever actually as impulsive as it seems. Right. Right. Wow. I also feel like Emika's uh, going to be harder on himself about not catching things than anyone else will ever for be. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like every time you're like, I should have known that. I'm like, yeah. I would have never known that. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. Uh, Josh, sorry. I was going to say, yeah. yeah, one other thing. One, one thing that I am excited about about this framework is that, um, like John, our last discussion around how it, how it, clarifies or gives a new way of investigating your relationship to um your object relational affects it's like let me say what i mean by that so like first of all as a triple attachment type myself and also nancy and alexandra i think you're going to relate to this it's like just the awareness that um i am open porous receptive um being impacted at um against my will at every layer of my organism and um it's very difficult to turn that off and especially so you think about attachment as this as this like almost non-boundary thing rejection is a a fully boundary thing and frustration is like uh open open but um aware of how it's constantly being contaminated and trying to decontaminate itself and um so attachment and frustration are both kind of open and what so it's kind of what it does for me is it kind of clarifies like let's just take the body sensor for example so like i have a nine with a one nine with a one wing fix um i don't have any rejection in the body sensor and so it's very difficult for me to have a boundary against the sensory environment mm-hmm. you know um or like john we were talking the other day like what about a nine with an eight wing you have like attachment or rejection what is that missing frustration is the is the is the re- object relational affect that allows you to determine your location in relation to something mm. so it's like it's the it's the relate it's the object relational affect of individuation mm. that's interesting um and you know pretend you have i don't know eight wing seven or something as a body fix it's like no attachment and so what does that mean it's like a hyper separate um thing and so mm. missing like the the like the fundamental attachment the healthy attachment thing of like being being open to be affected by something yeah you know mm-hmm. like john we were talking about our um just like how you were saying it was kind of like difficult for you sometimes to experience like like to know someone else's location um in a certain sense and like for me as a especially as a triple attachment type but just hanging out in the body sensor still like it's impossible for me not to know someone else's location energetically. <laughs> yeah. You know, 
it's like i'm <laughs> it's like i'm a sponge i'm i can't help but be open to it and like your energy is in the is in the tide pool already yeah <laughs> so it's already inside me like i can already tell um but if you're a rejection body fix then um it takes some effort to um actually sense where another person is at or open yourself to be able to sense um, mm-hmm. i find that fascinating yeah josh something... is constantly inside of us <laughs> <laughs> something to kind of expand on that you guys were using the example of that guy at the coffee shop giving you body language that was annoyed to me that registers as loud as him he might as well have said something to you he might as well have like shoved mm. you it's that mm-hmm. it's that loud yeah. he wasn't intending for it to like travel but he was mm-hmm. wow Whereas I'm like, yeah, going to drown him out. Like, oh, there's, he's like showing he's annoyed or something. All right, let's just drown it so that sensation does not affect my thinking and my discussion with Josh or whatever. Yeah. yeah I would want to drown being, it out. To me, it's as loud as directly being told, you're fucking annoying me. Yeah. Yeah, I would want to drown it out, but that's not an option. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I don't, yeah, and not even taking in, like, I'm just like, oh, the guy's annoyed, whatever, doesn't matter. You know, like. <laughs> keep going yeah. or whatever <laughs> I will have an emotional reaction about that my emotional reaction will be fuck you but it will be there so I have, I have a tell me what you think about this Josh uh, just thinking about like alright Dave and I are the kings of fighting with people online right mm-hmm. and so you know from, from my point of view right like you be like what's motivating me is frustration with gays from with a five fix right mm-hmm. like the way people are seeing things and understanding things and engaging with this thing that I find meaningful, the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then the five fix thing of it's, it makes me articulate myself. It's interesting. It's fun, whatever. But David, uh, being a seven fix nine, t- David, tell me if I'm wrong, but is it kind of like there, the attachment thing is that you are kind of affected by all these impressions and because of their nonsense, lack of understanding, they're boring to you? Like, you know what I mean? Like seven fix boring <clears throat> affecting you? In the- yeah, I've been thinking for the last 10 or 15 minutes about launching into my sort of whole version of, <laughs> you know, I'm definitely the sponge, right? Um, <clears throat> I was going to sort of articulate it through, say, the example that you were giving earlier, John, of... of say being in a subway crowd or whatever, um, because I've got, you know, one, a one wing, seven and four, and because I'm SPSX, which is, um, well, just so kind of insular, like my fixes are really exempt and self-absorbed, self-involved, and my instinctual stacking is also. And so, um, in some sense, the sponge is that I'm expecting the world to align with my flow, okay? Like, I expect that, um, that my energetic, you know, directionality or whatever, everybody else ought to be aligning with it in a way. Um, and that, that that's how the agreement looks. That's how the nine-ish, um, I don't know, holism and yes, is, is there's an expectation that colored by 7, 4, and SPSX of that everything 
ought to, you know, go with my flow and is sort of a part of my world. I mean, it's, there's a, maybe there's the uh, self-aggrandizing side of nine. It's like, I'm, this is supposed to be my universe or world or something like that. And um, so then when you talk about it in terms of, uh, let's say, smaller environments such as the Enneagram world and online and so forth, um, yeah, when people are spouting bad information or whatever, um, it's, it's, you idiot, you're, you're not, um, aligning with my particular, you know, signature version of how this environment should be. And so it's all, it's wrong and you shouldn't be doing this to me kind of is a piece of it, you know, like, um, like, uh, yeah, uh, why did you get inside my world, in a way, with this sandpaper that's bad and wrong? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's interesting because when, I, when I, I'm trying to look at or figure out, like, why you guys are so motivated to correct that stuff, because for me, inevitably, if I don't think that I can immediately change or fix a problem, uh, I will just move that problem outside the wall. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's so like, for example, the coffee shop, if, <laughs> yeah. if the guy is, uh, <laughs> if I know the guy's annoyed with me, my, my reflex might be that there, there's no way that this guy, anything he's doing has any relation to me. Not to say that I'm going to deflect and say that, oh, he could be annoyed at somebody else. It's like, well, you know, unless you're going to fight me, there's nothing, there's nothing that matters about what you're expressing. Unless you make some move to enter this world or speak to me or anything like, uh, nothing you do matters. Like who cares? You know? So it's problems. If I don't feel like I can do something about a problem, then I have to move it outside of what I consider to be real or anything to even think about. So it's like on, on the level of sensation though, right? Like what, what's the, action of rejection right because it's not it's like what is the way sensation is being moved or life force is being organized that puts somebody out it uh i guess it, it it's like a sense of feeling nothing or numb it's it's almost like if i don't care about something or someone i could watch terrible things happen and not feel anything because you know like my small world of people that i care about like if anything happens to you guys i really care but like there's a sense of like it's hard to really see other people as real human beings who are not within my circle of people i care about um or maybe that's just a reflex of this isn't anything that matters if it's outside of that uh that circle so i think initially with the people mistyping and people posting any like bad anagram stuff, I was hooked into that and trying to see what I could do. But once I realized that trying to convince people doesn't necessarily change it, I was like, well, I can just focus on building my own world, building an, an contained universe of stuff where good stuff can happen and only care about that. I don't really care about what happens outside of the world that we've created with our group and everything else. One other way to put what you're saying, Emika, is that as an eight, you're you are constructing your own holding environment right and 
only what is within the walls of the holding environment that you've constructed um, has uh, an impact on you. And you have preemptively, in a sense, whether it's chosen or pre-choice, gone numb to everything that's outside the wall. And yeah. so... I'm so, very reactive to problems yeah. within our sphere. <clears throat> yeah. Uh -huh. You know, like, yeah. as in all of you guys and anything that affects you, I'm really, I take action on that. But, yeah. you know, just people saying random shit outside of our group is kind of like... Yeah. Irrelevant. I wanted to go back to John's question to me about like the seven fix thing is uh, an aspect of the seven fix and what's happening online is that in the mental center, I've got unconditional positive self regard, right? <laughs> so you all should be able to see my way is obviously the right way to see the Enneagram, right? It's that kind of thing. So, and it's, and it's also, these people don't even have anything interesting or new to say anyway, yeah. so they just need to listen to me. For sure, yeah. That's part of it. That's also, so as a nine core attachment with triple frustration adjacency, like the whole triple frustration thing is like knowing your location in relation to this thing that's happening. And yes. nine is, is, is basically being affected by anything that's entering my world. So right. it's like a profound receptive affective affectedness yes. that you're constantly finding yourself in, in relation right. to in a frustrated way. Right. So I'm yeah. needing to scratch back at all these people yeah. online because mm -hmm. they're scratching me <laughs> from the inside. <laughs> now, this is really, yeah, this is a really big deal. Uh, yeah. A different, a, a much clearer, more insightful. I think a lot of people will be able to use this way of looking at the centers um, and object relations immediately because it's really intuitive and clear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I'm looking forward to like the ways that we'll unpack this and like, it's you know, like off. what we're talking about with all the nuances of trifix, right? Like getting really, really specific about the layer of sensation gaze symbol, how we get stuck in them, how they're interfacing with each other, how to unpack that stuff, how to communicate from that, those kind of points of view. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it'll be interesting. Yeah. Thanks for uh, indulging, guys. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the uh, sponge analogy was my favorite so far. I can really like have it in my brain now. Mm. It mm. makes a mm. lot of sense, mm -hmm. especially with the one. Mm -hmm. I got to go squeeze out my sponge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> I need good sensations always. Great. <laughs> I just want to be squeezed out. Give them to me. <laughs> Yeah, I'm interested to see like sensations. <laughs> how this might apply to uh, what different insights we might be able to pull out from looking at this from a typing perspective, if yeah. this makes things simpler. Uh, I think you talked to Joseph and he said yeah. he wanted to, you to come on to DAA and see if we could uh, yeah. give some That's video cool. examples that could help flesh this out maybe. Oh, that would be, be awesome. cool. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. Cool. Check out John and uh, Josh's classes this week because uh, this will go live uh, in a couple of days. Enneagramschool.com. Yeah. Enneagramschool.com. Yeah, and we'll get more into also the other centers, the gaze and um, symbol. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get too. into the gaze. Too, Nancy. <laughs> into the, gaze. the two beautiful fuckboys of the Enneagram are going to get into the gaze. Yeah. <laughs> the image types love the gaze. Alexander's, Alexander's uh, Puerto Rican mom says, Los gays. Yeah. <laughs> Los gays. <laughs> Mira los gays. <laughs> Mira. <That's> so funny. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
No, that that this is really helpful though. Like it it helps me like all right, this is what I actually need to communicate. Uh, yeah. What's going on for me when I say someone is bad? Like wh- where did I? How did I? How did I arrive? Yeah. Oh my God, <laughs> no, it see, is a particulate is, in the tide pool. Yeah. This is why we see eights as assholes because they're not con- communicating that whole thing that came right. before the shut off. You know, yeah, right. interesting, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're not painting the story that yes. we need yeah. to make that assumption that they are particulates in the tide pool. Right. Because it, it seems sudden, but it's definitely not sudden. Like yeah. it's like yeah, I'm yeah, tracking yeah. it feels like I'm tracking everyone that comes to this group because everyone that comes to this group has the potential to, you know, impact me or eventually get You're to me. You're pretty much the only one doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like <laughs> I I'm I in some way like evaluating people long term to see, you know, your move like the life cycle of people coming to this group and getting closer and closer and closer and and if somebody does this or somebody does that. So by the point that I get to when I get to the point where this person sucks, it, there's a long tail of shit that I've been paying attention to that I, I forget that no one else knows about. <laughs> so my That's unconditional positive there too, I think. Just my, uncon- go ahead. That's five fix stuff there too, I think, for you, Emika. Like not showing your work in a sense, or mm-hmm. like you know, like right. like everything is contained inside, and then once it's obvious to you, it's just well, this is right, yeah. right. Yeah. No, yeah, that's a good point. It's yeah. rejection of symbol. Yeah. My unconditional positive self-regard has to mention that this whole thing we're talking about with eight uh, reiterates my overlaps thing, which is actually revealing more and more stuff, which is, and in this context, like eight overlaps, this, which for the listener is where I put on the Enneagram symbol, I put the three instincts and the six instinctual stackings onto the hexad types. And SPSO is eight. And so you can see if SP is, let's say, a wall or a barrier around a social group. I mean, that's mm-hmm. exactly what we've been describing. Yeah. Is that eight is uh, acting as this wall and it's, it's got that social energy in the sense of like everything Emika was saying earlier, where it's not just us, but our connections to other people and other people and other people. Mm-hmm. that are affecting what's happening inside the castle gate walls you know yeah, yeah. so thank you very much <laughs> y'all are y'all are welcome is all i'm going to say so you know thank you josh but especially thank you david <laughs> <laughs> thank you it's all knowing and all yeah. powerful by his booklet <laughs> yes pay attention to everything i say anything else all right no, I thought that was great. Ed. I I remember Ed getting chills nice. the first time he explained like attachment in the specific levels. It's just like a new way to be horrified by my trifix. <laughs> just like triple yeah. exposed yeah. to That's gaze, sensation, yeah. and uh, symbol. I was like, God, I have like no chance. Cool, yeah. it's delicious. <laughs> I just and love it. <laughs> it's also cool to look at this from the the point of view of like the instinctual drives and yeah, you know, combining combining these two two things together. Because mm-hmm. uh, uh, I, I would imagine like a self-pres eight would have more of a literal sort of boundary how this affects my um, sure my lively or my uh, well-being. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it thinks for me as a sexual eight, it's more that I think of people as sort of like agents of like potential creativity or insight and those things can change everything so like you know or I look metamorphosis. at yeah like I see Josh like you know you just come in with stuff that's flipped a lot of new things for us and so my sexual instinct is like josh is like a a really 
cool addition to the to the mix and so i i tend to see people <laughs> it's like the music mix it's kind of like you oh this this new song is like really fucking doing something go. for us you know and so yeah, i could yeah go ahead especially josh with is your winning josh is winning 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 right here this is a good experience <laughs> the, the, for joshy there's boy there's an entire inner gospel choir right <laughs> we're gonna get tired of winning yep, with yep, josh yep, yep. <laughs> especially emeka your sexual instincts eight but with a four and five fix right yeah, like yeah because that give that's giving you more of like um in you know as you always put it sexual interestingness Mm-hmm, but right. coming from a lot more conceptual place than a lot of eights would have, you know, right. like a lot of eights wouldn't maybe give a shit about, you know, some new concept or something, right? Right, right, like right. having these five picks and four picks. Yeah, people are like carriers of ideas, and you know, just thinking of some of the people that we've met this year who just their presence introduced new ways of looking at things. Like, oh, totally. You know, like Kristen's gonna be here next totally. week to talk about dream work. That's Fuck fucking yeah. really cool. Yes. So yeah, it's like looking at the fixes as sort of uh, shaping how one might judge people, and so I, I tend, I've realized that I tend to judge people on their their ability to generate new interesting insights. I'm All right. terrified. Well, thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> thanks for yeah, being on. That was amazing. Yeah, thanks. Josh. Yeah, that was great. Thanks to our wizard. And uh, yeah, I gotta go because I'm I'm I need socialed out. No. Yeah, everybody look at Nancy right now. How she's. <laughs> Are you sure you're not a nine? <laughs> she's just gathering the womb feeling, collecting those good sensations. Yeah, it's, it's clear you've attached to a nine, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know what you're talking about. You were about. talking earlier about Brian, about looking over and Brian's like in a blanket. And then I look over and I'm like, oh, what are you saying? <laughs> look at you. Brian is you. <laughs> and By you the way, I sent a picture of him to the group chat. It's it's beautiful. You need to look okay. at it. <laughs> okay. Well, All right. right y'all. Good there you go. Cool. All right, guys. Yeah. Later. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs>